As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so Matt, Daffy Duck and Elmer Fudd broke into this distillery. And Okay. Yeah. And and they they were in there and Daffy turns to Elmer and he says, "Is this whiskey?" And Elmer Fudd goes, "Yes, but not as whiskey as wobbing a bank." It's <laughs> <laughs> good. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. (laughs) All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? Hey, I'm doing great. Good. Good. We uh, we want to say real quick, go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. If you go on to podbelly.com and you go look, you can find a list of all the shows that are members of the Podbelly Network, and we're proud to be associated with these shows. But they're shows from all different genres. So it may be something that you wouldn't run across normally that you say, hey, that might be interesting. So check it out. I'm I guarantee you, you're going to find at least one show on there that you haven't heard of that you will enjoy. So go check it out at podbelly.com. Also want to thank tonight's sponsors, Raycon and HelloFresh. And we will talk a little bit more about them coming up. Uh, And we also want to say go check out patreon.com slash graveyard tales. Sorry, I got distracted a little bit. My beagle is down here in the bed, turned upside down, <laughs> shooting his legs all around. So I got a little distracted. Um, but as I was saying, uh, go check out patreon.com slash graveyard tales. You can sign up to become a patron. And we've got three different levels, one, five and ten. And our $10 members, they get video versions of us recording these shows and they get video versions of the bonus episodes that we put out. Our $5 members, they get the video versions of the bonus episodes plus the audio. Uh, The $10 gets the audio as well, too. Um, So if you have the link from Patreon that brings all of our episodes into your podcast catcher, um, then you'll get the audio for all of it. Um, Our $1 patrons only get the audio version. Um, But we try to do different stuff on there than we would normally do on a main episode. So it's sometimes more science-based, sometimes it's more humorous. Um, recently, within the past couple of weeks, I'd posted a video of me playing a song on guitar and singing it. 
So uh, made myself look like a fool. But if you're interested, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, it, you know, you, you take a look at this. I mean, it, you, you get to see how 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 talented Adam is in other areas other than podcasting and editing. So <laughs> it, it is something that I've, I've done for many years. It was my life before podcasting. Um, I'd worked in the music industry and did stuff like that, and I've always played and sung guitar. I'm not a great guitar player, but I sang in all the bands I was in. So at least go check that out. Um, all of the levels got the video version of that. So um, go check it out. I'm sure there will be more in the future uh, uh-huh. of me looking dumb on camera. So go <laughs> go check that out. Um, it's patreon.com slash graveyard tales if you're interested. Now, Matt, that's all I got. I'm going to stop talking. So well, I'm not going to stop talking, but I'm going to stop talking in the intro. I'm going to keep talking. Yeah, but everybody's like, thank God. Yeah, right. <laughs> when I was wondering when he was going to stop talking. But why don't you tell us, what are we talking about tonight, brother? Okay, so tonight we're going to talk about something that most people have heard of. Uh, if you haven't, it's kind of a kind of a creepy thing. Uh, we're, we're going to talk about the Island of the dolls. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's in Mexico and I remember hearing about this. Um, I, I think I was a kid. Um, I was probably 10, 11. Yeah. And I remember hearing about this now it, it was nowhere near at that point what it is now. Right. Right. Uh, and, and. And time has not been kind to these dolls that are hanging across this island. Lord, but, no. You know, there there is a lot of history, of, uh, you know, not just modern history. There is, you know, a lot of uh, uh, ancient Aztec history right. associated with this area, uh, which, which makes it a little more interesting. Um, but the story behind why these dolls are on this island uh is really really fascinating um it, you know we're going to get into the fact that a lot of people believe that this place is haunted and mm-hmm. it's one of those places that when you look at it you go yeah yeah that's haunted i'm not going there <laughs> <laughs> yeah right i mean just it's like it's like the new the uh, you know there's a new movie coming out a new horror movie called nope yeah and, uh, yeah they said that you know when uh, when Jordan Peele came up with a title, he was like, "Yeah, because that's what people will say when they look at no." Right. <laughs> well, and that that's like you said, that's kind of how this place is. You see uh-huh. pictures of it, or you know, you're floating up to it on on this raft, and you look at it, and it's covered in these creepy, old, dirty. Yeah, rotten dolls, and you're like rotten dolls. Well, they are. They're rotting. I don't even mean it like <laughs> those rotten dolls. I mean, they're literally rotting. Um, but if you've listened to this show for any length of time, you know that Adam just adores dolls. Oh yeah, that they are his favorite thing. <laughs> they're like creepier, creepy kids. Like if you were to take a creepy kid and, and make it almost look human but not quite and then make it just sit there still staring yeah. at you with unblinking eyes yeah it's fantastic they're great mm-hmm. love mm-hmm. it 
So we need to, like Matt was saying, look at the history of this area, um, look at who built it, all that stuff. So let's get into it. Uh, first, check our sources. Go down to the bottom of the show notes. You can find where we found this information. You can learn more about it if you're interested in that. And some of it you could maybe follow along with as we're reading certain excerpts from the entries there. You can you can follow along and see how to spell some of these because I'm going to do my best to pronounce these um, correctly. But it's not just Spanish. There is Nahuatl, which is the Aztec language. So I'm going to do my best. Um, but <laughs> you can you can see the spelling of some of these there. Um, but like Matt said, the Island of the Dolls is a Chinampa located just south of Mexico City between the canals of, of Xochimilco. Now, to understand the stories a little better, like we we're saying, we need to look at exactly what this island is, why it exists in the first place, and who built them. So Xochimilco is a UNESCO World Heritage Site located about 17 miles south of the capital's historical center. Now, the name comes from Nahuatl, like I was mentioning, which was the language of the Aztecs, and it means flower garden. So the canals of Xochimilco are a vestige of the Aztec agricultural technique of using chinampas to extend arable land in wetland areas. So you're like, okay, you just said a lot of words, and I don't understand what any of these things are. So all I'll word, say is that's how awkward. Yeah, that's how Michael and Ashley feel all the time. I say a lot. They don't understand half of what I'm saying. Um, but we need to look at what chinampas are. Now, this comes from uh, they're the delicious. They are, man. I love them fried with powdered sugar on them. Um, <laughs> the, Sorry, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> it sounds like something I, I could eat. Yeah, it does. It sounds like to me, it makes me think of a dessert with like cinnamon and sugar on it. Um, But this comes from uh, the archaeologist.org website, and it it talks about what chinampas are. Now, chinampa is a technique used in Mesoamerican agriculture, which relied on small rectangular areas of fertile arable land to grow crops on the shallow lake beds, usually in the valley of Mexico. Now, they are built up on wetlands of a lake or freshwater swamps for agricultural purposes, and their proportions ensure optimal moisture retention. So, basically, it's man-made islands that the Aztecs built. So, again, I'm going to just jump in my notes here and say, if anybody wants to say that ancient cultures were not super intelligent, this should prove to you that they are. If nothing else that we've talked about, the fact that yeah. they understood this, they figured this out, they executed it, and they are still around today should tell you how intelligent ancient cultures were. It wasn't aliens that helped them out. It wasn't Oh, well, we're just mistaking what they used them for. And this was a very simple. No, ancient cultures were super smart. Now, before the larger chinampas were built, farmers maintained small scale chinampas adjacent to their households and communities in the freshwater lakes of Xochimilco and Chalco. Now, chinampas were invented by the Aztec civilization, sometimes referred to as floating gardens. 
Uh, Chinampas are artificial islands that were created by interweaving reeds with stakes beneath the lake surface, creating underwater fences. A buildup of soil and aquatic vegetation would be piled into these fences until the top layer of soil was visible on the water surface. Now, these agricultural lands received this nickname due to the illusion they caused and the bodies of land, you know, they appeared to be floating on water because the canals surrounded the Chinampa plots. So think about that for a minute. They built fences underwater and then they filled it with dirt and vegetation and all this stuff till the dirt was above water level. Yeah. And then that's their island. That's where they plant. They didn't have enough arable land on the land, so they created these things. Um, it says, when creating Chinampas, in addition to building up masses of land, a drainage system was also developed. This drainage system was multipurposed. A ditch was created to allow for the water uh, to flow and sediments, likely including night soil, they say. Um, and over time, this ditch would slowly accumulate piles of mud. The mud would then be dug up and placed on top of the Chinampas, clearing the blockage. The soil from the bottom of the lake was also rich in nutrients, thus acting as an efficient and effective way of fertilizing the Chinampas, replenishing the topsoil with lost nutrients provided, uh, pro- all this provided for bountiful harvest. So to me, that's incredible. Just to, I mean, we now will put like these bulbs in our flower pots that leak water into the soil as it gets dry. So it constantly waters. Um, they built islands to do the same thing because yeah. this soil and plant matter would soak up the water. It would also allow the nutrients from the decayed vegetation stuff on the bottom of this lake and the canals to be soaked up into the plants. So it, it makes me want to do it. It makes me want to buy land that has a lake <laughs> and build a chinampa on this and put my garden in that. I mean, when I was researching this, what these are, I was just, I was totally amazed at their, their ingenuity and the fact that they didn't have scuba gear. They didn't have all this stuff, but they were building fences underwater, seeding them into the soil. I mean, I don't know why anybody would say that ancient cultures like the Aztecs or even further back were not super intelligent. Yeah. Yeah, especially the Aztecs. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, we've talked about this many, many times on the show. They, they time and time again, the the artifacts and that from you know the ancient Aztecs they they show us they prove to us that they had knowledge greater than what any anybody in in modern culture can fathom uh-huh. and there's there's so much that we don't know that. You know, I, I can't believe that people just it's it's the same thing we've we've talked about before. There's there's bound to be other cultures that we have no idea existed that right. were way advanced. Right. And, and 
I'm sure. And, and other other cultures that we do know about learned from them. Yes. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about other places um, in future episodes. But you look at the Aztec temples or some of the other ancient temples like Gobekli Tepe and stuff like that. They have huge, ginormous stones that they've moved into place from miles and miles away to build these temples. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same thing with the pyramids. Yeah. That How did they get these stones there? And they say, well, we figured out that they float them there. They, they build these canals and they float them on these rafts. Okay. Mm-hmm. That, that solves one equation. How did they get it onto the raft? How did they get it off the raft and built up like they did on top of these structures? They still haven't figured that out. So the fact that the Aztecs, the Mayans, the the uh, people in Peru, I forgot their name. I apologize. Um, it's too many to remember. Yeah. All of these ancient civilizations that created these massive temples and massive cities and we don't know how they did it they've got to have knowledge that was lost that we just aren't aware of now and uh i i actually saw a thing this morning about uh they're they're looking into some i say looking into that's probably not the best thing but there's they were showing um a, a picture of some hieroglyphs from ancient Egypt. And it showed all of these people moving this enormous stone. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there's a guy on the front with a, with like a big jar pouring water on the front. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about how that with sand, you know, that fills in the gaps essentially. And allow, would allow something that that large to move smoothly along wet sand, whereas over dry sand, it would pile up as sure. it's pushed, and, and and it, you know, there's so much friction, it becomes even more difficult. Um, this was a way that you could reduce the friction significantly mm-hmm. and, and still move it. And you know, it's one thing to uh, to figure out that that might have been how they did it it's another to actually have some evidence that they might have done it this way with an actual uh with actual artwork of somebody doing exactly that right right but you know um ashley brought this up the other day when we were watching something about egypt we have these writings like the hieroglyphs and people know how to read the hieroglyphs and everything but how do we know that that's exactly what they were saying or exactly what they were doing. So them pouring the water looks like what they're doing, but what if they weren't, what if they were doing something else? Yeah. And I mean, it's just the, the, uh, bravado of everybody. Now that we can figure this out, we know it. They couldn't have had some knowledge that we don't have, so we'll figure it out kind of thing. I I don't know. It just. <laughs> I it, don't know. It's it's fun to look at these structures and just wonder, man, mm-hmm. you know, 
this this would not be an easy task today right you know to just you you may have the equipment to do it but you got to get the equipment there yeah um and yep. some of these 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 old temples pyramids um you know all of these structures they're in some areas that you they're hard enough to get to on foot mm-hmm. you know much less with in any kind of machinery so it's it's fun it's interesting and and it gives us a, a nice look into uh just how advanced you know some of these cultures were right right um and now, now speaking of these cultures we need to look at the aztecs the the ones who built these chinampas there and and basically created the area that the island of the dolls now sits on that mm-hmm. Matt's going to talk about in a minute. So who were the Aztecs? Now, some of this comes from some of this information comes from the Guggenheim Museum. Um, some of it comes from history.com. So I've kind of interwoven them in here a little bit to uh, to create a cohesive narrative. Um but the Aztecs were the Native American people who dominated northern Mexico at the time of the Spanish conquest in the early 16th century. They were a nomadic culture, and the Aztecs eventually settled on several small islands in Lake Texcoco, where in 1325, they founded the town of Tenochtitlan, which is modern-day Mexico City. Man, that was good. Thank you. I'm impressed. Thank you. I've practiced. Um <laughs> You should see me sitting here practicing Tenochtitlan, Xochimilco, over and over again uh, by myself. <laughs> but uh, they were uh, fearless warriors, and they they were also, this says, pragmatic builders, which we know from all of their temples and all that. Uh, it says the Aztecs created an empire during the 15th century that was surpassed in size in the Americas only by that of the Incas in Peru. The Incas is what I was looking for. That was the yeah, term I go. was meaning well, a minute I ago. I didn't have it either, so I wouldn't. <laughs> um, now, the Aztecs are the most extensively documented of all Amerindian civilizations at the time of European contact in the 16th century. So various sources, including those of religious, military, and social historians, left invaluable records of all aspects of life and together with modern archaeological inquiries portray the formation and flourishing of a complex imperial state. So that's basically just saying that because of all the documentation that the Spanish made when they came over and then from what we've been able to figure out, we have a a pretty good idea of the history of the Aztecs. though The Aztecs emerged as the dominant force in central Mexico. They developed an intricate social, political, religious, and commercial organization that brought many of the region's city-states under their control by the 15th century. Now, invaders led by Spanish conquistador Hernán Cortés overthrew the Aztec Empire by force and captured Tenochtitlan in 1521, bringing an end to Mesoamerica's last great native civilization. So I I guarantee you, if uh, the Spanish hadn't come over and basically wiped out their civilization, their area, 
probably most of North and South America would be Aztec. We would still have all the Aztec traditions and everything flourishing because of how extensive their reign was. Yeah, and, um, you know, they would have just moved northward. Yeah. And encompassed other Native American tribes, either just by forming, you know, allies or taking them over, mm-hmm. um, you know, c- because they were, they, they were warriors. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, you see some of these old paintings, you know, they're, they're, they always look ready for battle. They always mm-hmm. look fierce. So uh, that would, that would be, that's an interesting thought. You know, I've never really considered it, but you're right. You know, the, the, the Spanish was not friendly to the native americans at all right you know in fact they were pretty uh pretty horrible yeah yeah. um you know and 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 beyond just killing them Mm -hmm. that's that's for another show yep that's a whole nother show (laughs) um now this goes on to say that the exact origins of the aztec people are uncertain but they're believed to have begun as a northern tribe of hunter-gatherers who name whose name came from their homeland, um, Aztlan, or white land, in the Aztec language of Nahuatl. So I I would be very interested to know where the Aztecs started. What civilization were they, and what knowledge did they learn from the previous civilizations that allowed them to create these temples and create the chinampas and stuff like that. How much did they figure out? How much was passed down to them? Um, I think that would be fascinating. Now, the Aztecs were also known as the Tenochka, uh, from which the name of the capital city, Tenochtitlan, was derived, or the uh, Mexica, the origin of the city, uh, the name of the city that would replace Tenochtitlan as well as the name of the entire country. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where you get the the name and the names from. Um, now, a little bit of trivia here. Did you know, Matt, that the Aztec language, Nahuatl, was the dominant language in central Mexico by the mid-1350s, and numerous Nahuatl words, were, uh, words borrowed by the Spanish were later absorbed into English as well, including... Chile or chili, uh, avocado, chocolate, coyote, peyote, guacamole, ocelot, and mezcal. Those were those all came from the Nahuatl language. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I love two thirds of those. Yeah, I'll right. Let you, I'll let you guess which one. Yeah, uh, <laughs> ocelots and coyotes. Yeah, that's and peyote. Yeah, <laughs> chocolate, avocado. I could say I and, like most and, of them. And look, when I when I uh, when I enjoy the peyote, I get to talk to the coyotes and the ocelot. There you go. There you go. It's I'm like kidding. that Simpsons episode where uh, he starts talking to the coyote that's actually Johnny Cash. Yeah, and he climbs that big pyramid. That was a good episode. I I always feel like because I I love good guacamole and and i've worked on my recipe for years and personally i feel like i i make 
the best guacamole of any white man. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I have been, I have been told this. So, you know, I, I, I you know, avocados and guacamole. I'm, I'm thankful for the Aztecs. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I'm thankful for them in so many ways. Okay, y'all. So lately, I have been listening to a lot of audiobooks and podcasts and music, too, but mainly audiobooks. And, and one of the ones I've been listening to here lately has been Scars and Stripes by Tim Kennedy. And it's been great. And one of the biggest reasons that it's been great is because I'm using my Raycon wireless earbuds to listen to it. Now, Raycon's everyday earbuds, they look, feel, and sound better than ever. They've got optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit. These earbuds are so comfortable and they will not budge, trust me. You pick the little silicone gel tip that you want, put it in, and if it doesn't fit just right, they got a bunch more. Pull it off, put on another one until you get the perfect fit and it will not fall out of your ear. Raycon gives you eight hours of playtime and 32 hours of battery life. And it's amazing. I can carry these things around with me all the time. I've always got them going and I never run out of battery. I can be charging the base while I'm listening to the earbuds and put them back in and charge them after that. It's amazing. Raycons are also priced just right. You get quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands. And it's no wonder that Raycon's everyday earbuds have over 50,000 five-star reviews. Now, some of my favorite things are the customizable sound profile. So you can pick if you're listening to music and you want more bass in your music, you can choose the heavy bass mode. Or if you're listening to audiobooks like I have been a lot lately, you can pull back the bass and it will increase the trebles and the mids so that you get more of the vocal presence that you want out of a book. They also have a noise isolation mode and an awareness mode. So the noise isolation mode you can put in if you don't want to hear other things around you, like if you're mowing or doing any type of home project where you're running a saw or anything like that, you can put them in, put the noise isolation mode in, and it blocks out the sound of the saw and you still can hear what you're listening to. Or the awareness mode you can pop in while you're doing stuff around the house so that if your kids or your significant other needs to get a hold of you, you can still hear them while you're listening to your book. It's great. And if you want to join me and Matt on the Raycon train and get yourself a pair of amazing earbuds, all you got to do is go to buyraycon.com slash tails and you can get 15% off your Raycon order. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash T-A-L-E-S and you get 15% off. Buyraycon.com slash tails. Now, this is when the Aztecs saw an eagle perched on a cactus on the marshy land near the southwest border of Lake Texcoco. They took it as a sign to build their settlement there. They drained the swampy land, constructed the artificial islands on which they could plant gardens, and established the foundations of their capital city, Tenochtitlan, in 1325 A.D. Now, if you if you know, the eagle perched on a cactus is on the flag of Mexico. So that's kind of where it came from, is the 
Aztec saw that and they thought that was a sign you need to build here. Yeah. And apparently the sign was right because they flourished. Yeah. Now, let's kind of look at the Aztec religion a little bit um, because we 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 see the, like Matt was talking about, the paintings, the drawings, the carvings of the Aztecs. And, and we know that they're, they practice sacrifices and all that kind of stuff. So let's look at that a little bit. So we can kind of say this is what happened in this area mm-hmm. that surrounded these chinampas, not necessarily on the chinampa because that's where they grew the food and stuff, but it was the area right around there of Tenochtitlan that they practiced all this. Now, the Aztec faith says um, shared many aspects with other Mesoamerican religions like that of the Maya, um, notably including the rite of human sacrifice. So they did sacrifice humans um, just like the Maya did. Uh, In the great cities of the Aztec Empire, magnificent temples, palaces, plazas, and statues embody the civilization's unfailing devotion to the many Aztec gods, including uh, Huitzilopochtli, or Huitzilopochtli, um, God of War and of the Sun, and Quetzalcoatl, which was Feathered Serpent, um, a Toltec god who served many important roles in the Aztec faith over the years. Now, the great temple or Templo Mayor in, in the Aztec capital of Tenochtitlan was dedicated to Huitzilopochtli uh, and uh, Tlaloc, the rain god. Man. So, I tried. I didn't. I, I didn't catch all that. I wasn't recording. You need to. You need to do all that. <laughs> <laughs> well, good thing for you. I was recording. So, um, so so the the Templo Mayor, the the great temple there, was dedicated to those two gods. Um, and that that's usually the one I think that most people think of when they think of Aztec temples is this one. Um, it's the one that we see pictures of and all that. So now the Aztecs had hundreds of different gods and goddesses, one for every aspect of their lives. Now the various deities were believed to exert immense power and influence over everything people did. And as a result were worshiped devoutly by all levels of society, both at domestic shrines and also in elaborate public rituals. Now these ceremonies led by priests who often, quote, became gods during the ceremony, were highly theatrical and dramatic affairs, integrating festive dancing in fantastic costumes with bloody human sacrifices, which was thought to be necessary to continue and keep balance in the cycle of life and death. So they, they sacrifice people in order to keep life flowing in the correct way. They thought if they didn't sacrifice members to their gods, that the the world would crash. Yeah. And a lot of times the sacrifices weren't forced sacrifices. Oh, yeah. It was more of an honor. Yep. Uh, the, the sacrifices wanted to be sacrificed to the gods. Yeah. Um, so it, it wasn't. Yes, it was bloody. Yes, it was something we wouldn't do now. 
but can't look down on it like some people do just because it was human sacrifice. These people wanted to appease their gods, and they said, what better way than take me? You know, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll go and I'll, I'll, they felt they were helping to continue the life of their brothers and sisters by doing that. Yeah. And I mean, they weren't taking like, you know, the, the weaker old individuals, you know, the, you know, some, some grandpa Aztec mm-hmm. that, you know, was 80 years old and barely getting around and, and they march him up there and say, well, he's guy's probably going to die next week let's sacrifice him no i mean they were these people were were strong they were you know the the best right you know, and and like i said it was an honor for them you know to be sacrificed because they they felt like you know that was their reward was that they were continuing you know life yeah and so yeah i mean it, it 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 seems barbaric now um but then it was just, it was part of their religion. So Right, right. Now, this goes on to say that underlying Aztec religious beliefs was the legend of the suns. Now, the ex- explanation of the origin of the universe is what this technically was. Now, according to legend, and I I, I just have to say, I, I like this. Um, I'll explain why I like this at the end, but I, I do like this. According to legend, the universe had been created and destroyed four previous times, and each creation formed an age called a sun. The fifth epoch began in darkness. The gods gathered um, at uh, Teotihuacan, and two of them sacrificed themselves by jumping into a fire and rising as the sun and the moon. The remaining gods then sacrificed themselves, their blood setting the sun and moon into motion. From then on, the daily movement of the sun and therefore the continuation of life itself depended on the nourishment of the gods with human blood. So that's why they did it. But what I like about this is you and I, Matt, have talked about, I I feel like, and I'm not the one to come up with this, so don't think I'm the one coming up with this theory, um, anybody listening, but that civilization has restarted many times in the history of the earth. And what we know, our history, is just this latest iteration of life. Right. But there were other civilizations, other cultures that came before us that may have gotten super technologically advanced and then a catastrophe happened or something wiped it out and we had to start over again from caveman times and back up to where we are today. So basically what their legend of the suns is, is that it's speaking of that uh, we are in the fifth, uh, the fifth epoch and the the four other ones that came before it they were created and then destroyed and so it kind of fits into that theory that i like to hold to that we are not the first we are not the only iteration that there has been so yeah. i enjoy may, that may not be the last right right uh, our our 
epoch could be completely wiped out tomorrow. Who knows? And some well, let's hope not. Yeah, I hope not. <laughs> um, if that's the case, this episode won't even go out, so it won't matter. Yeah. Um, but you know, some of the remainder, uh, the remaining people on Earth would have to restart. And and I think that that's happened several times throughout the history of this planet. Now, this goes on to say that in many ways, Aztec gods and goddesses were just like ordinary men and women. They each had their own personality and well-defined role. Humans impersonated the gods at religious ceremonies, becoming them for that time period. Now, because the gods could transform themselves into earthly forms, almost everything was considered divine from the lowliest insect to the largest mountain. Among the Aztec gods and goddesses were the supreme deity called Ome, uh, Ome Theodal, or Two God, who, as both female and male, was the embodiment of the Aztec idea of duality and was responsible for creating both humans and gods. So that Ome Theodal was the the supreme being that created everything. And, and we, we see that in other ancient religions like Rome and, and Greece and stuff where they have one deity that created all the other deities. So that's basically what this is. Now, the Aztecs had no concept of heaven and hell as places of reward and punishment. Instead, they envisioned the cosmos as divided into layers, both above and below the earth each of which received people who had died a particular death. If you had died by drowning or been struck by lightning, for example, you ended up on the celestial or heavenly plane governed by Tlaloc, the rain god. The nine levels beneath the earth, collectively known as the underworld or Miklan, um, were less welcoming and were where the majority of Aztecs went when they died. Although it wasn't quite as grim as the Christian concept of hell, the people uh, banished here had to brave such hazards as clashing mountains and flying knives made from obsidian, which is that black volcanic glass that -hmm. you see. And uh, it's really hard, really sharp. So they would make knives and swords out of it. And I I really want a uh, obsidian knife. I, I really do. My plugs that I've got, in my ears my gauges are actually obsidian but i don't have a knife i would love an obsidian knife adam adam sounds like he may be taking this human sacrifice thing very seriously no <laughs> no i need that no. obsidian knife you know yeah, I, I don't need that rumor started because then i won't be able to get any vict i mean um uh that's not what i meant <laughs> <laughs> It would be cool to have, though. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know. I mean, I can see it sitting in this shelf right behind me. Yeah. That glass case that I've got. Just put a obsidian knife in there. That would be amazing. I don't think I've ever actually seen one in person. I've only seen, like, photographs. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, I've not seen one uh, handled one either. Um, but I, I would, I'd like to go down there and make my own. Um, because they still have places where obsidian can be mined and pulled out of the ground Um, so i would love to do that and they even have like a green obsidian which was only from one specific area 
because there was one specific volcano that erupted that had a certain chemical makeup in there that yeah. made this obsidian turn green instead of black. And so this green obsidian was used in religious ceremonies all across the Aztec and Mayan empires. And it was only used for religious purposes. It wasn't used for anything else. So it's obsidian is fascinating. Sorry. Yeah. That was a, a little diverging there of the topic. But uh, <laughs> look look up green obsidian if you get the chance. Um, now, this goes on to say that in Aztec art, deities can be identified through a standard set of accoutrement including dress, headwear, face markings, jewelry, or ornamentation, and other accessories such as weapons. Now, Tezcatlipoca, uh, for example, an ancient Mexican sorcerer and the god of night and destiny is generally depicted with a black band across his nose, so across the bridge of his nose, um, and uh, across his face, and then a withered foot that ends in a mirror made of obsidian. So Tezcatlipoca's name actually means smoking mirror. And it was said that with this instrument, he could see and control what was happening throughout the universe. So if you look into the Aztec art, you can figure out who the gods and goddesses were that they spoke about because of the way they depicted them with the black band across Tezcatlipoca's face and mm -hmm. then his obsidian foot. Um, you know, his friends made fun of him and called him old mirror foot because <laughs> if you had a mirror foot, I'd, I love you, Matt, but I'd make fun of you. I, I really Man, would. You know what you, you'd have, if you had a mirror foot, you'd, you'd be like walking around, like trying to look up girl skirts and stuff. Yeah. It, it would be that thing that the pervs used foot. to do. Yeah. They would <laughs> put the mirror on their shoe. I remember hearing that as a kid. Yeah. Uh, Oh, you should put a mirror on your shoe and you can. Hey, I'm not going to do that, buddy. First but, time I ever saw that was on Pee Wee Herman. Oh, the, yeah, the yeah. Pee -wee, the actual Pee Wee Herman show that kind of kicked it off. You know, they, yeah. they would do that. <laughs> yep. Okay. So we, we've learned a lot, you know, about the, the culture um, in the area where the Island of the Dolls is. Um, and you may think, man, I, you know, we've just got this big history lesson on the Aztecs, but that's important because I think it it plays into the it, it at least some of the the superstitions and the folklore uh, surrounding the area, and it, it could have influenced how the Island of the Dolls came to be. Now, in the 1950s. Uh, there was a caretaker uh, on the island named uh, Don Julian Santana Barrera, and he was he was the the caretaker, the overseer, whatever. But he was mm -hmm. there essentially by himself. It was just him and his wife, um, and and there he was, just kind of you know w working on the island. And so the story says that one day Julian found the body of a young girl at the bottom of the, of the waterway that was right outside of his door. Mm. Now it, it's kind of, it's kind of funny because this, this is where the story gets kind of cloudy. Um, so you just, just hang with me now. 
So Rahelio Sanchez Santana, he is the current uh, quote guardian of the dolls uh, and caretaker of the island, but he is also the great nephew of uh, Julian Barrera. Now he discussed his uh, his uncle's experiences on the island after this discovery. So right. Rahelio says that the girl was swimming with her sister or with some friends and got lost in the current and it took her under and she drowned. But some versions say that Julian tried to save the girl, but was unsuccessful and grief and guilt overtook him. Uh, others say, like I said, he, he found her body at the bottom of one of these waterways. And the interesting thing is that the waterways are crystal clear. So, a lot of visitors will say you can see all the way to the bottom yeah. very easily uh, because of the of the clear water. So it would have, you know, it wouldn't be like, you know, looking in the Tennessee River uh, for a body. You know, this guy, right. he just he could look down and see it. Um, so who knows? And, and it may not be all that important how how he discovered the body. Um, it just says that he did. Now, over the now, this is another one. Over the next few days, or immediately after he saw the body, Julian found or Julian found a floating doll in in the canals, and and he assumed that the doll belonged to the girl. So he picks up the doll and he hangs it on a tree out of uh, in a way of showing respect and support to the spirit of the dead girl. Now, uh, Rahelio says the spirit of the girl was living in sorrow now because of how she died, the tragic right. way. And he said in the mornings, Julian started seeing ghosts. And one day he woke up and he found that all of his crops had died just mm. overnight, essentially. Which is weird for that, uh, the Chinampas, because right. like we we're saying, those are fertile fertile lands there so to have all your crops die overnight is a weird thing i mean you would expect you know if he was having some problems it wouldn't be the entire crop and you know in one evening yeah um but he started trying to save his crops nothing he did helped and he felt like it was because the spirit had damaged it and so there was nothing that a human was going to do to be able to fix it now, he started getting more and more scared, as anybody would. Sure, yeah. So, Julian, uh, the story says Julian started having nightmares, and he would hear screams and footsteps on the island. So, uh, so Barrera built an altar in his one-room cabin uh, on the island, and that's you know, that's where he and his wife live. So now they've got this little one room cabin with an altar that they built to try to appease the spirit of this little girl. Yeah. Um, but Rahelio says the spirits would still, the spirit would still come. And so he, Julian thought if he could put up more dolls that would protect him or appease the spirit. So 50 years of collecting dolls 
and hanging them on this island. You can only imagine mm, how yeah, many it's, dolls that's a ton. are all over. I mean, you know, and there's tons of pictures on on the internet about uh, of the island of the dolls, and it's just it's insane. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know the weather um, and time as just as as Adam described them as rotting dolls. Yeah, they're everywhere, hanging up. You know, as a reminder of what what happened um, during Julian's uh, life on that island. Right. Now, here's the interesting thing. This is this creeps me out. I'm just, uh, if it's true, uh, which I mean, you know, it could still be part of the legend. Julian died in 2001. His body was found drowned in the exact same spot where the little girl was found yeah if that's if that's true that's crazy i know i know but i have i have an idea that you know it, it may maybe maybe closer to the uh to the real story i don't know it's just an idea but so m- many of the locals believe that Julian is now a, yet another spirit that resides on that island. Mm-hmm. And some of the locals will refer to the island more as as charmed as opposed to haunted. Um, that it's not something to be feared. That, you know, there's an energy there. There's a spirit there. And as Adam said, it, it was fertile. I mean, it's it's a it is the it is the good place to grow these crops and be successful. Mm-hmm. So you you wouldn't associate that with a negative entity, right? And so that's why the locals say you know it's it's charmed, it's special. Um, but you, you know, even if it is that you don't want to interrupt the flow, and so the death of this girl may have interrupted that flow, or as some people believe. Uh, Julian hanging up that doll awoke something that was on that island, uh, and it began to mm-hmm. torment him. But that's highly possible. the The other idea is that, um, you know, Julian being out there alone, uh, or at least just with his wife, um, that the loneliness begins to really work on your mind. Yeah. And if if he's out there and does find this young girl, how terrible to have to endure that, to, to find the body of, of a young girl. Um, it, it just began to, to, you know, eat away at him. Mm-hmm. And as time passed, it became worse and it was harder for him to kind of separate, you know, reality from the idea that this little girl's spirit was torturing him. Uh, and he had to do this to try to protect him and his wife, uh, or, or at least to appease her. And the fact that they found him in the same spot, it it always kind of makes me feel like that either he, he finally got to a point where it was too much. And he said, I'm, I'm done. And yep. and he he crawl he, he crawled into the water and never came out, or 
he spent so much time there that, you know, he, he finally just was old enough that he just died. And yeah. that's where he was. Or he knew he was dying, and that's where he went to die because that was where the girl was. We, we won't ever know for sure. And it's interesting to, uh, to kind of you know, take a stab at it and theorize. But it, it does kind of lead you to think this is more than just a really good story. I mean, this guy lived on this island for a really long time. And you can't imagine that he's just playing the long game for a hoax that's never going to play out. Um, to me, Julian, something was happening to him. Yeah. yeah. You know, wherever you want to believe, if it was the spirit of the little girl, if there was an ancient spirit, maybe the Aztecs understood, you know, this area was powerful, that their gods had something for them at this area. That's why they planted there. Yeah. Um, yep. That's why they, they built the whole city there. Exactly. So there there was something charmed about this to the Aztecs, and maybe there was an entity there that they could feel and understand or maybe even communicate with. And perhaps after all the hundreds of years that this act of the girl dying there, you know, this building of an altar to appease the spirit hanging this doll it 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 did bring about the awakening of something and and maybe it attached itself to julian and he couldn't escape it um and this this is what it caused him to do um you know hanging up these dolls but you know, the, all of that great story doesn't necessarily mean that the island is haunted, but it has been looked into many, many times. And there are a lot of stories from visitors that reportedly say that there's a lot of unusual events that happen. Um, it's often said that people can hear the dolls whispering to each other up in the trees. Now, that's not that's cool. creepy. Now, I, I have thought about this and I was like, yeah, you know, you're standing there underneath all those dolls and you hear some wind in the trees. It's going to sound like somebody talking, whispering. Um, but sometimes you can kind of tell the difference, you know, when you, when you catch a word in there, <laughs> you're like, that's not the wind. Yeah. Um, but sailors have said that they feel like they have been pulled or, you know attracted they they use the term they they have felt this yearning to go and visit the island whenever they've been sailing near it siren song almost yeah yeah but again the aztecs were drawn there maybe there is something that draws people there yeah local legends say that the dolls can move their arms and legs and roll their eyes at people and there have even been reports of a doll turning its head to stare blankly at a visitor. Um, mm. Now, I thought, okay, this is one of these deals where you look away and then you look back and it's not in the same position. Yeah. Um, that, you know, these dolls aren't moving to where you would actually see them. You know, where you, you show up and there's all these little baby dolls walking around, you know, and then they look <laughs> at you and they're like, oh, crap. Everybody freezes like Toy Story. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. No, I don't, I, I never thought it was that. Um, but, th- but there was this really strange thing that happened on an episode of Expedition X, uh, where uh, Jessica, Jessica, is it, is it Chopot? Is that her last Chopin. name? Okay. Um, she visited the island with Rahelio, um, uh, Julian's uh, great nephew. Mm-hmm. And she saw firsthand the original doll that Don Julian put up. The 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 yeah. actual one. And that uh, thing said, is wild, man. Yeah. Been up there for 50, 60 years. Ugh. Yeah. That big spider crawl out of one of the like the mouth. Mm. No thanks. <laughs> but she said almost immediately she felt a temperature drop as she approached it and the sensation of another presence. So, you know, when you feel that, it makes you kind of uneasy. So what do you do? Naturally, you you go back alone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what I would do. Wrong. Wrong. But uh, but she does. She does go back for a solo session with the original doll. And she stays in communication with the rest of her crew via an earpiece. Uh, and they do have a camera on her. Um, so when she asks if there's a presence there, the light kind of surges to super bright and then goes back down and mm-hmm. she saw it. And then the, the people in the crew saw it. And, and, you know, so Phil tells her, ask if it can turn the light off. So when she asked that instead, the light surges to full brightness again and then goes back down. So as they're freaking out about this. They catch sight of one of the dolls hanging from the ceiling begin to swing. And so she walks over to it and, and, you know, you look and there's, I mean, just hundreds of these dolls hanging from the ceiling into this cabin. I mean, they're everywhere. And she's looking at this one and you see the feet and the feet are just gently swinging back and forth. And I don't mean you have to kind of look at it. And really focus. Yeah, I think it may be moving. No, I mean, it's kind of swinging right there. You can see it moving. Right. So you think, oh, there's a breeze, you know, whatever. You know, that, that's all that is. Well, let me tell you something. When you look at about the 35 other dolls that are surrounding that one that's moving and they're all perfectly still, you begin to go, yeah, it's probably not the wind. <laughs> yeah, okay? right. Exactly. Because, uh, you know, the, the rest of these would be moving, too. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's really, it's really odd. And, you know, when you see it, you just kind of like get one of these, eh, you know, down your spine, you know. Oh, oh yeah. So, uh, but I mean, it, it, again, it makes for interesting television, but, um, you know, when these, when these shows go and they, they, they see the, these things firsthand and they, they claim to have these experiences and they catch them on camera. Um, you know, this is not something that they just went and it just happened. Uh, you know, they, they, nobody's ever seen this before. I mean, there's been, the only reason they went is because so many visitors and locals have said, this is what happens. Yeah, exactly. It, you know, and so they wouldn't go if there wasn't a big history of stuff like this happening. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not above, you know, saying a show could totally fake it, but at least with this show, it, it doesn't have the appearance of, you know, with the association with Josh Gates, 
I, I gotta say, you know, we're we're not looking at a bunch of hooey. You know, right. it's and, you know there there's there's some really legitimate events that are captured uh, yeah, on Expedition from, Act. From what I've seen of other Josh Gates shows, it's not a show of hoaxing yeah. paranormal stuff. So I tend to not have to put as much salt grains with this show as I do other shows, yeah. if that makes sense. There are not a lot of reports, like official reports or or, or stories from visitors that are, well, this is what happened on my trip to the island of the dolls. There's, there's not a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it is just, you know, verbal stories and things that have been shared. Um, but it's still, it, it's just, it's incredible that this place exists. And when you look at it on a map and you see where it is, you're kind of like, it's even weirder. Um, you know, because it's like Adam said, they just, they built the city around it. I mean, it, yeah. It's just kind of there, you know, right here in town, you know. Um, and, and I read a lot of reviews when I went on TripAdvisor that they were like, you're going to get scammed um, if you go down here for this this boat ride out here to this island. You know, they've got, apparently there's another one that uh, mm. they'll take you to that one instead. Instead of the original one, you're not even going to be able to get off there. Um yeah, you know, so make it, sure you know which one you're going to. That's right. That's um, right. You know, don't don't let somebody try to you know get you know get you out of a little bit of extra money by you know telling you they're they're going to do something they're not. Um, yeah. And if if they tell you you're able to spend the night on this island or you're able to spend hours and hours, that's probably not the right one because Rahelio, uh, from what I understand, he doesn't like many people to be on that island. Right. Uh, To set foot on the island because of the evil that he thinks is on there. Right. Um, Because he he's scared for any of these people that come to investigate it. And he he's like, I'd rather it, you know, it takes a lot to get him to let you spend a night there to do an investigation. So, yeah, if you decide you're going to go down there and try to find it, you may be able to see it from a boat out in one of the canals. but probably not going to get to walk around the island yeah yeah um but you know the 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 question of the night is could the aztecs have realized that there was something special about that area that there was an entity there it was charmed or or whatever you want to say um that perhaps is still there right and and it it may or may not be evil, um, but it might just be a presence of some type or some energy that's there. Um, that you know, Julian tapped into, uh, and it led him to do this. And you know, as his as his nephew, um, you know, continues to be the the caretaker of this island, um. I, I got to say, you know, I, I don't know that I would, if I grew up in that area, I don't know that I'd look back at this story and think that I had an uncle that was nuts, you know, hmm. you know, yeah. you gotta, yeah. it's like he knew something. He was there for a really, really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so something was happening and, well, and that, 
that's like you said, I think there is something ancient in that area that the Aztecs knew about, hence why they saw the sign of the eagle on a cactus and they built Mexico City basically right there. And between their offerings, their sacrifices, the ceremonies, and everything they did in that area, I think it helped keep that energy around or strengthen that energy, and we can still see some of it today being expressed on the Island of the Dolls. Yeah. I don't know for sure that I would say what's happening on the Island of the Dolls is the spirit of the little girl that's there. I, I know. I, I don't... I. I don't buy into that either. No, I I think it's the energy, the spirits or whatever that were in that land are just, they're being expressed and seen on that island because you have the thought of this being a haunted place or a a special place where everything else around there, if you you know Mexico City, it's a jumping, happening place. Mm -hmm. So everything is going on there. It's busy. And like we've talked about before, when you get busy like that, you don't see the supernatural. You don't see the paranormal because you're so busy. Uh, yeah, that's a good and point. You move out to the canals in Soshimilco where life's a little more uh, relaxed. And you get on this island where, I mean, there's hella creepy dolls everywhere. <laughs> and it, it kind of makes you, you know, a little more in that mind mindset and you don't have the distractions of Mexico city and all that. So I I think if you were to pay that much attention in other areas, as you do on the Island of the dolls, I think you would see this expressed as well because it's the, it's that area. I, I, I tend to not believe that it's that little girl. Yeah. Yeah. Me either. So one of my least favorite things is going to the grocery store. It's because you got to deal with a whole bunch of people and you got to deal with the high prices of food now. So what do I do? Well, me and Matt both, we subscribe to HelloFresh. And HelloFresh is a meal delivery service that delivers the ingredients and everything to make these meals right to your door. You can savor every last second of summer with HelloFresh because HelloFresh delivers fresh quality produce from the farm to your door in less than a week, allowing you to enjoy the delicious flavors of the season right from your home. And you can skip those annoying trips to the grocery store and spend more time soaking up the last of the summer sun, which I know we all want to do. And HelloFresh Market is a one-stop shop for all your mealtime needs with a curated selection of quick breakfast, lunches, snacks, desserts, and more. Now you can enjoy more variety than ever before with Hello Custom. You can swap out one protein or side for another, upgrade for a more luxurious experience, or even add protein to a veggie meal. That means more choices, more variety, and more meals truly tailored to you and your family. Do you need another reason to stay in for dinner? Well, HelloFresh is 72% cheaper than dining at a restaurant and is even cheaper than grocery shopping. Like I said, high prices of food, HelloFresh is even cheaper than going to the grocery store. So that's money back in your pocket. And for my family, 
HelloFresh is great because we can get Michael involved and he loves doing the cooking with HelloFresh. He always gets in there and helps us prepare the meal and mix everything together because everything comes in these pre-portioned packets where he doesn't have to measure everything out. He can just squeeze it into a bowl and mix it up. And we love it. It's so simple for us. And the food is always something that not only do we enjoy, but Michael also enjoys. So if you want to get on the HelloFresh bandwagon and enjoy more time in the sun, less time shopping at the store, and just get better variety of meals that maybe you wouldn't normally cook, all you got to do is go to HelloFresh.com slash Graveyard16. That's HelloFresh.com slash G-R-A-V-E-Y-A-R-D-1-6 and use our code GRAVEYARD16 and you will get 16 free meals across 7 boxes plus 3 free gifts. That's HelloFresh.com slash GRAVEYARD16 and use our code GRAVEYARD16. So what do you guys think? Uh, did you Had you heard of the Island of the Dolls? Um, did you already have kind of an opinion? Um, let us know. You know, if anything we talked about tonight kind of maybe changed your idea about what the, what the Island of the Dolls is, or what it means, or what could possibly be there, uh, let us know. And one of the best places to do that is in our Facebook group. And as we've said for a long time, our group, is a safe place for you to share those opinions about paranormal things, about celestial things, you know, multiverse, all of that, whatever experience you've had, we want to hear about it. And nobody is going to make fun of you or pick on you or call you right. a nut job. Um, and, and our group is private. So, you know, if you're thinking, you know what, this is the way I feel, but I certainly wouldn't tell these guys I work with that because it might change their opinion of me. It's not going to, nothing else is going to be shared. You know, if they see it, it's because they're in there too. So, uh, and why, after you do that, slide over to our website, it is graveyardpodcast.com and you can listen to the show. You can find links to purchase graveyard tales, merchandise. Uh, and as Adam mentioned at the top of the show, you can become a patron and, you know, get access to all of that bonus content. We always thank everyone for donating to the show because it helps Adam and I keep it going, uh, keep it with the limited ads that we have, um, and, and put out bigger and better content for you guys. Right. Don't forget to rate and review us on uh, iTunes. It helps bring us up the charts, um, but it makes it easier for people to find the graveyard. So I think, uh, I think we covered that pretty well. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Wouldn't solve any world problems, but that's all right. Nah, never do. <laughs> so until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.